I'm so grateful for my friend, Alan Stone. So come on, everybody, give Alan Stone a huge hand. So Alan has been here since the beginning. He came uh, and was on the launch team, and uh, I knew him in Colorado. He's one of the original 50 that moved here with us to start this church. And I've watched him. It's been such a blessing to watch him grow. When he first came, he was kind of a skinny kid. I mean, I... Now he's a skinny man. There you go. There we go. Some and, things uh, never change. And he was, he, was, he was married, but he looked like he was 12. Now he's 15. It's and the I beard. Just, yeah, it's the it's beard. A, it's I shave. I am still no, 12. No, it's totally great. And, then, and, and what I love about Alan, though, is he has done every job at one chapel. There isn't a job this guy hasn't done. And, he, and listen, he's done it willingly. He's done it as a servant. And what I love about him, whatever he's doing, he tries to make it better. I love this about Alan Stone, and that's why I'm announcing he's, he's uh, we've been, uh, he licensed him as a pastor uh, a couple years ago now, really, and, uh, and so he's taking on an, another role, <laughs> another new role, and he's going to be the Team One director for OC Austin. So, uh, Alan, tell, just tell us a little bit about why you came to Austin. Like, why did you come, move halfway across the country and uh, help start a church? Tacos. <laughs> I mean, worth, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty a good place, reason. Yeah, it's good. Uh, no, actually, so it's, it's a pretty crazy God story that I could take the next hour to tell. Uh, but I, I won't. I'm sure you have things you want to say. I have some things I don't okay. say. Okay, all right. Um, but it was crazy. So summer of 2009, before you had even mentioned, before you were even coming down here, kind of made that public, uh, God put Austin on my heart. Like he just like dropped that one word, Austin. So weird. Uh, and I, I couldn't shake it, right? Uh, and so for months it was consuming and consuming. And then it was a Sunday morning in December. We're at church, the church that we attended in Colorado. Uh, and... Pastor Ross is talking, and he's like, oh, like, I feel like God is calling us to, to go and to plant a church and, and all this. And I'm like, man, we're going to miss you. Like, see ya, you know? <laughs> Bye. Um, no, it was like, I was legitimately sad. And he's like, so we're going to go to Austin. And I was like, done. I'm in. Like, where do I sign? Like, like all this. I, was, I love that I was story. Sold. It's such a great story. Uh, and I found out, actually, just a couple of years ago, that, that the same week that you made the decision to come to Austin... Mm-hmm. Uh, was when God put that on my heart. So it was just like all these things lining up. It was, it was crazy. It's almost as if we like are connected by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> just saying. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what your passion is for teams and, and what, how that lives in your life over the eight years you've been here. So, so this one is, is actually very personal uh, for me. When we were, we're in preparations of moving down here, we made a trip down. You, you and Amy and your family is already down here. And uh, we met for coffee at Starbucks at the Y right down the street. Uh, and I, I went into that and, and I was asking God, like, where do you want me involved? Like, what do you want me to do? Because he said go to Austin, but he didn't say for this or for that. He always does that. I know. It was, it was a deal. Makes you figure it out. And I was like, okay, like, all right. Well, I'm just going to ask. And so I asked. And I'm like, so, like, where, where is the most help needed? In the back of my mind, I'm like, just not kids, because they scare me. Like, I'm so scared. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like they're crazy. Like, am I even going to survive? Like, um, anyways, and so, so I ask, and, and Pastor Ross is like, well, 
we really need help in kids. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Let's do it. Uh, and so I jumped in, and it was there, serving in kids. I met Matt Gideon, mm -hmm. who was one of the first people that I met here. Uh, I met Matt, got to know him and his family. His wife is a labor and delivery nurse at the hospital where our youngest son was born. And, like, and that was crazy. Like, I mean, we're brand new to the city, and, uh, and all of this, so familiar faces are awesome. And as we're going through, right, so we're serving in kids, and then uh, we, I jump into helping with setup team, and I, may, I meet Chris and Holly Whitehurst, and uh, this is actually before Whitehurst, like they weren't even married at this point yet. Right, right. Um, so if you join a team, you might uh, find a future spouse. <laughs> just it's saying, true. just saying. It's true. So, so then, like, I go to, like, I'm helping with teardown team, and I meet Reggie Kahaya, and I jump into tag, and I meet uh, Valerie and Nico and Trey, like, all of these people, and all of these people are my closest friends today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so every person that's the closest in my life today, mm -hmm. I met on a team. Wow. Wow, that's Everyone. really cool. I love that. What, tell us what's coming with uh, teams and, and where we're headed in the next season of One Chapel. So I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, and I've been hearing it all around, like, God is moving, right? There are things that are moving and shifting and, uh, and kind of pushing things forward. And there's just this anticipation and excitement. And, and, and we have a big vision, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 10 campuses, mm -hmm. 10 years, like it takes a lot to make mm -hmm. that happen. Uh, and so, so that's what I'm excited for. To make that happen, to plant campuses, it takes us, right? As a family, as people, we've got to dig in, we've got to press, and it takes people to lead, Right? And so that's what I'm really excited about is helping to raise up leaders and get teams where they need to be, not just to take care of things here on a Sunday morning, but so that they can plant churches because that's what it needs. And so, so I, like, I believe that those leaders are in this service. Uh, I mean, I, I said that at 930, but I was just... They're yeah, also here. I was just being yeah, nice. Yeah, I think they're here as well. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So yeah. if you were in the 930, I really mm -hmm. meant to. Um, <laughs> but, but in all honesty, like... There's so much that's, uh, that's happening, and God created each one of us differently, and so there is an opportunity for you to serve the body in a way that brings life to you, right? Like, we don't want people to just begrudgingly jump in, like, oh, I guess I got to serve and then hand out name tag. Like, no, like, there is a way that brings life, and, and I talk with so many people that are like, oh, what if we did this? And there's just creativity abounding. Like, what if we did this team, and what if we could do that, which I love, and mm -hmm. yes, I want to do them. And to do that, we've got to bring our teams up to a mm -hmm. point where we're not just healthy, but we're thriving, and we're raising up leaders, and that's so kind of good. Thing. So, uh, so the, th the, the thing that kind of brings all this to a point is we need you guys to jump in. And a bunch of you are already serving, and I love it, and it's great, and you're making such an impact in people's lives. And some of you are trying to figure out where to plug in. So I, I just want to highlight a few areas of need uh, here at the church of teams that really need some love. So number one is breakdown. Breakdown is like the unsung heroes of one chapel. Like it's, it's Best crazy. team ever. It is, it is. I always want to call it the breakdance team, though. Yes. I know. <laughs> we do that. Like, breakdown. Like, you do? They yeah. Do that. yeah. That's how we start. I love every, to see that. Every, every, but every you don't have to Sunday. know how to breakdance to be on the team. No, we'll no, teach no, you. No, no, We'll teach you. It's good. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so breakdown. So that involves, like, that involves, like, kind of breaking down, like, all of the things that are happening, picking up signs from outside, like, all that kind of stuff. That team really, really needs some love. Uh, second one is ushers, and actually ushers for this service specifically. So second service really needs some help with ushers, and these guys are greeting people, first-time visitors, as they're walking through those doors and they don't know where to go. These are the smiling faces that say, hey, welcome. Let me help you find a seat so you can enjoy a service this Sunday. 
media, right? So yeah. we, we live stream these services onto Facebook Live and uh, onto our website so that people that, who can't make it on a Sunday or that live across the country can join us virtually, right? Uh, and there's a team that makes that happen. <clears throat> Uh, and then the last, last team, but definitely not least, is kids, right? Like there's that whole half of the building mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings is people mm-hmm. that are pouring into kids, yep. like putting scripture in front of so them and good. praying over them and teaching them how to worship and discipling them. Like my Caleb, my youngest son is over there every Sunday morning and it's great and I love it and we need more people to do it. We need more people. To I think that's really kids. true. Like the, the greatest impact you can have at one chapel probably in terms of years and in terms of investment is in those kids' rooms, yeah. making an investment in their lives and in their hearts about Jesus. Yes, cool. for sure. So on your seat or in the seat back pocket right in front of you, there's a Team One card, right? All you need to do, if you're willing to jump in, I, I would ask you to, uh, to do that, to take a leap. Just fill this out. You can drop it in the offering boxes. You can bring it to five-minute party. You can bring it straight to me. Any of that is fine. Um, and, and I also want to highlight... The students, right? Middle school, high schoolers, like this applies to you guys too. Like a bunch of people that are taking care of kids are in high school. Like you guys are leading and serving and I love it. And I had a couple of them come up to me like say, hey, like can I help? And uh, all that. So I love it. And then next Sunday, we're doing Next Sunday. Yep. So next Sunday, right after second service, uh, we're going to do a Team One rally. So that's for everyone who is on Team One all across the landscape of the church uh, or who wants to be on Team One. Anyone who's interested in joining, we're going to we're going to hang out. We're going to have lunch together. uh, And then we're going to kind of talk big, big picture vision for the future and that kind of thing. So awesome. And if you're new to a team, you can even come to that if you're interested. Yes. You can, yeah, you can check new. it out. If you're at, still on the fence, yeah, yeah free um, lunch. Grab a sandwich. Man, it's gonna yes, be great. Exactly. All um, right, everybody, give Alan Stone a huge hand. Awesome. All right, uh, ushers are in the aisles, and they have message notes. If you did not get one when you came in, so raise your hand, and they will give you a little message notes and maybe a pen. Uh, I really want to encourage that kind of habit. I think it's really important to write stuff down because I think God speaks to us each when we're doing this. As you may know, we started a series a few weeks ago called Better, the Promise of the Holy Spirit. Better, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's really based in this idea that we're asking, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What is, what is this, the role of this third person of the Trinity? And we're learning how to cultivate a relationship with Him. And uh, we're, we, we started this at the beginning of the year because everybody at the beginning of the year is, is trying to make 2019 the best year ever. In other words, they're trying to make it better than last year. There is no better way to make this year better than to cultivate a closer, more engaged relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about that, and it's really kind of based on the idea, and really the question, which is, what if the power to make life better is not in trying to create new habits, but it is in cultivating the life of the Spirit within you. And this is what Jesus said in John 16, 7. He said, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. For I may, if I may not go away, the comforter will not come to you. And if I go on, I will send him to you. See, Jesus himself said that it would be better for the disciples and better for us 
when he goes because he's sending the counselor, the comforter, the helper, the, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want to highlight. How does life get better? It gets better with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so I was thinking about this and I was doing a little research this week and I, it occurred to me that there's so many ways in which churches try to project the message of better. And they try to project the message of better very often on their church signs <laughs> with terrible results. It's kind of like if, you, if you've ever had a revelation, like you're just like, oh, I got this thing. I just want to share it. I just want to, it's, it's like a download from heaven. And then you say it out loud and it doesn't come out quite right. <laughs> That's kind of what church signs are like. And so I started looking at church signs a little bit because we're, today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and so check out, check out these church signs. It says, well, the first one is, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> Just, I, don't, I didn't even get it. What were they thinking when they did that? Here's another one. We love hurting people. <laughs> so, so sad, but still so true. Here's one on the theme of our day, and this is what kind of led me on the search. It was, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. <laughs> it was a good one. That's a pretty good one. That's cute. I don't know what they were thinking when they put this on their church sign, but this one says, hospitality, let us expose ourselves to you. Here's a sign, the flippin' Church of God. <laughs> it's like, what, what, everybody's so grumpy, flippin' church. Actually, flippin' is a town in Arkansas. It's actually where my mom was born, in flippin' Arkansas. There's the flippin' Church of God. It's awesome. This guy just decided to give up. <laughs> blah, 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 just come to church. <laughs> This, this is one of my favorites from the Super Bowl last year, and it's obviously in Philadelphia. It says, how many verses in the Bible are about eagles and patriots? Eagles 33, patriots 0. <laughs> Listen, if you, today is Super Bowl Sunday. If you, if you check out like Rams versus patriots, the number's even higher because there's a lot of Rams in the Bible. Bible score for this Super Bowl is... 70 to 0. <laughs> How many want the Rams? How many want the Patriots? How many just want the Patriots to be beaten? <laughs> good. Finally, here's a guy who I think probably lost his job of putting up the signs. It says, Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> That guy ain't doing signs no more. <laughs> so today, I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason these signs are kind of important is because I think you can see how people are trying to do something. They're trying to send a message. They're trying to make a statement, but they miss the whole point. I think that happens a lot with the fruit of the Spirit. 
I think the fruit of the Spirit is not something you try really hard for. I think it's, there's something else that happens. There's something else that is involved in the fruit of the Spirit. So let's pray and let's dive into the Scripture. Father, we just ask for your revelation to come into our lives as we share the Scriptures. Open up our hearts. We open up our lives. We open up our minds to be illuminated. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We start with Galatians 5, verse 16 through 25 in the New International Version. It says, Paul is writing to the Galatian believers here, and he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, everybody say led. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's quite a list, isn't it? That list is what happens when humans are left to themselves and there is no intervention from God. It's just, that's just the natural list. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have a saying around here, we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. I think that only happens by the work of the Spirit in people's lives. This little phrase right here, help, we, we, we help each other keep in step with the Spirit in moving forward. He's always leading us forward. And if you think about this second list, the fruit of the Spirit, what you see, the amazing thing about this list, it is the very nature and character and the essence of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the relationship that they have. God at His essence is relational. This triune being, and this is the way they treat one another, perfect love, perfect joy and peace between them. And then like Him, like God Himself, we are triune as well. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace... Make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ come again. Like God, there's three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body, body, soul, and spirit. And so when we talk about this, what Paul is beginning to talk about is who's in charge. Is your soul, is your body in charge? Is your body in charge of who you are? There are many people, and their body makes all the calls. 
And it's either one way or another. They're either mistreating their body or they're trying to put all their energy into making their body really good, right? And it's one or the other, but regardless of which it is, the body is in charge. And whatever the body wants, the body gets. Some people, they put their soul in charge and their, their mind, will, and emotions. Their, their intellect is in charge of everything in their life. Their intellect or their emotions. Listen, I'm a kind of a creative artist type, so I have this analytical side and then I have this creative side. And so I got, I got a lot of feelings. I, too many feelings. Way too many feelings. And if I'm not careful, I will let my feelings drive everything in my life. And you can see people where their feelings or their emotions drive everything. And that's why they get in so many fights. That's why their relationships always suffer under this, this thing where their soul is in charge of everything. But for the Christian, Paul says, the Spirit is the one who he, he's saying, we've got to put the Spirit in charge of everything everything, the body and the soul. And there's a war that wages between our body, our soul, and our spirit. And if we've surrendered to God's spirit within us, and then, in other words, that's how it happens. Remember, we talked about it the very first lesson that we had in this series, how the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We are, Jesus said it, we are born of the spirit. And our spirit becomes intermingled with God's spirit. We're awakened by God's spirit, and he begins to dwell within us. And Christianity is an inside-out prospect. It's not an outside-in. We're not trying to make stuff happen. We're trying to let God have his way as he works his way out in our body and our soul. And so... Some versions of the Bible use sinful nature here, but in this context, I think flesh is better, and I'm, I'm not alone on that. There are other biblical scholars that, that would say that because in Paul's argument that he's making in the book of Galatians, he's contrasting the flesh and the spirit. These are the two words that represent the war that goes on in our lives, and that includes your body and, and your soul. While the sinful nature is part of the war, there's no doubt... Its connotation is, is limited because flesh represents not only our sinful nature in this argument that Paul's making, but also flesh represents, and I think this is key, the efforts we make many times to live in freedom. Even the efforts we make to try to be godly can be fleshly instead of led by the Spirit. And so freedom, this, this idea of freedom, Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5, we talked about it last week a little bit in the presence, um, in the presence of, of the Holy Spirit message. I don't know if you remember it, but I said, freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. And so if you fixate on what you're trying to get rid of, then it doesn't work. What you have to understand is the Holy Spirit is with you and He dwells in you. And He is the secret to dealing with the war that is going on inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the antidote to the fleshly life. So what Paul is saying is here, flesh, flesh, and law. He's making an argument. Flesh and law belong to an era that is now past. With Jesus coming into the world 
There is a new era, and it is characterized by the life of the Spirit and the life of Jesus living inside of us. In this context of Paul's letter to these Galatian believers, he's using, it's really funny because he's using a bit of a double entendre because he's talking to them about circumcision because they are dealing with whether or not to submit to circumcision. I'm not going to say a lot about circumcision, but it's, there, is a, there is a process here that where they were tempted by the Judaizers. The Judaizers are this group of people, these folks that, are, that wanted the Galatian converts. These are new converts to Jesus, and they wanted them to adopt all the practices of the law and faith in Christ. And Paul's arguing that this is really going to mess them up because in so doing, they would, they would express their entirety of God's revelation and, and provide themselves with an adequate moral law. But Paul says the problem is submitting to circumcision or any legality of obedience as a means of salvation means abandoning Jesus Christ and his great grace for you and me. So you have to see that they were essentially saying to these converts to faith in Christ, they need to obey all the ceremonial law of the Torah in order to be accepted. And faith in Christ is absolutely necessary, but you also need to do all these things. And I think sometimes as Christians, we adopt this mindset. I'm a Christian, but I also need to do all these things. When God has something so much better. Now, these Judaizers were... Where they were putting these two things together, and they were probably also saying that the only way to resist evil and, the imp- and, and evil impulses was the study of the Torah and repentance. And the thing about it that's so amazing is studying the law is good. Studying the Bible is good. These aren't bad things. But Paul is saying, no, he's contending that the flesh has actually already been put to death when you come to Christ. And that means... And that the means of moral guidance, in other words, the the morality that you're going to live in has already been given, not in the law, but in the Spirit. Now, some of you guys, I kind of went down that path and you just went, huh? Like, too much history. So I want to read, I want to just... I just want to take a minute and I want to read this passage again and I want you to think with that lens on and I want to read it from the Message Bible, which is the modern translation. It was translated by Eugene Peterson. He wrote the book for, to get us to the street level language and I want you to hear it differently as, we, as I read through it. Galatians 5, 5, 16 through 25, it says, My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Listen, the, the most mature Christian is the mature Christian that lives steady, in the life of the Spirit. So many immature Christians, oh my God, God help me, ah, yes, awesome. 
I'm not saying that we don't have expression. I mean, I think we should be joyful in worship. We should go for it. We should, we should get on our knees and seek God. But listen, in, 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 your, in your feelings and in your emotions, in the life that you're living, a steadiness in God's spirit is the mature Christian. And so listen, it says, why don't you choose to be led by the spirit? You have to choose it. Be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. Trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to make it work, trying to make it happen. Verse 19 says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, (laughs) frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, Magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an importance, uh, sorry, an, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. There is a freedom that you and I have been called to. But Paul is arguing for a freedom of the Spirit to have his way in your life. Verse 22 then says, But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely, Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. I want to give you three ideas about the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit is a result and not a practice. It's a result and not a practice. Many people think that the two lists in Galatians 5 are areas to work on. They read them. You know, they read through one list, it's just terrible, all these terrible things. And then they read through the next list, and it's all these wonderful things. And they, and they treat it like it's two lists that i got to work on. Oh, i got to do less of this. Oh, i gotta, oh, I got to get rid of some of that. Oh, yeah, oh, that's really a problem for me. i really got to work on that. And then they get to the nice list, right? Naughty list, nice list. And they get to the nice list, and they're like, oh, yeah, I want more of that. Oh, I need more of that. Oh, i got to really work on that. i got to get rid of this. i got to work on this. Oh, i got to work on patience. Oh, that's so hard. I, gotta... I think it's easy to slip into this kind of thinking when you and I are people of the Spirit. 
we are people. Paul is arguing here that there is something that we have to lean into because trying harder is not the solution. Nothing could be further from what the Apostle Paul is advocating here. He's advocating a cultivation, right? Fruit requires cultivating. Cultivating the soil of our hearts to let the Holy Spirit lead us and direct our steps in every area of our lives. It's a result and not a practice. John 15, Jesus essentially says the same thing when he's talking about how we have to remain in him. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I think we work on this stuff. We feel like God has spoken to us about doing things. And so often, we're kind of like, in the way we think about living out our faith or our Christianity, we think we need to help God out. Because God needs so much help. God doesn't really need our help. And what you have to realize is he is a collaborator. He wants to collaborate with you to get his kingdom to be birthed into the, the planet. So, so he wants to do stuff with you. But here's what you got to get. We're not doing something for God. We're doing something from God. This is something that happens from Him. He pours Himself into us, and then we act out of the nature that is growing in our lives because the Holy Spirit is directing our steps, and we live yielded to Him. This is what He wants. This is how He collaborates. We mistakenly believe that God is interested in compliance or obedience. I'm going to make a bold statement. That's not His first concern. Obedience is not His primary concern. What? Pastor Ross, what Bible are you reading from? Let me ask you a question. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, did they commit to really precise obedience of the law? Yes, they insisted on it. They were in charge of it in a way that wasn't helpful for other people. The Pharisees were attentive to the details of obedience of the law down to the smallest minute idea and yet jesus said i don't want to have anything to do with you you're corrupt inside you obey on the outside but you're corrupt inside i want you to see that obedience without love is straight legalism you obey out of some kind of, you know, thing that you, I got to do this, I got to make this happen, but you don't have a love relationship with God, you haven't cultivated a, a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're going to run into a dead end. It's going to be really hard. Or worse, you'll be really successful and get full of your own pride and arrogance. Compliance without connection, compliance without connection is dead religion. It's nothing more than just trying to do good stuff. That's not what the work of the Spirit is about in our lives. And so what you have to really get, what you have to get is obedience is actually the byproduct. It's the fruit of surrendering to the Holy Spirit. 
Obedience is the byproduct of surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Obedience becomes the result of love and relationship and yieldedness and keeping in step with the Spirit. Life always comes from the Spirit of God. It never comes from lawful obedience. Living in the Spirit produces life that Jesus wants for us, and that includes the way we even deal with ourselves, the way we put to death the misdeeds of our body. Look at how Paul points it out in Romans 8.13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is so significant. Because you can only put the misdeeds of the body to death one way, by the Spirit. Really important that you get this because... Listen, being able to love people, being able to love others is not really the result of discipline. Listen, I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my time. And when I get the, the man or the woman, you know, when they're fighting with each other, and if they, it's, it's, like, it's, like, this, it's like this story, the man tries to figure it out and the counselor tells him what to do and then they do it. And then the wife says, you're just doing that because the counselor told you to. (laughs) But you see the problem in it. You see the problem in it. If you're just doing it because the counselor told you to do it, and there's no inner motivation, it's not love. It feels very, it feels empty. It feels, and, and I'm not saying that you can't sacrifice for your spouse or for another person where you're in this, but I'm telling you that the inner motivation, what Paul is arguing for is a motivation where I love you and I'm motivated by that rather than what somebody else told me to do. Being able to love others is not the result of discipline. It is a miracle. It is a miracle, and here's why. Because the miracle is being inhabited by the Holy Spirit, yielding to His way, His wisdom, His will. The Holy Spirit is the one who's producing the fruit, the result, the miracle of God in our lives. And so living in the Spirit is not about do's and don'ts. It's about surrendering every step to Him. Every step. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit is a process it takes time. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. I don't know if you've ever done, did one of those things where you, you, when you were in elementary school, you did a little seedling in the styrofoam cup. I did. A little seedling. Put it in there. Put some dirt in there. Put it on the windowsill. Pour water in it. The next day, I'm up. Where's it? Where's it? Where's it? Where is it? Nothing. Like, come on! Where is it? I did this yesterday. This is American. This is as American as it can get. I repented yesterday. Why isn't everything different? Like we just want what we want and we want it now. But the the life of the spirit is something that takes time. The fruit to be cultivated, to grow, it takes time. But it always requires a seed. Every one of us spends our lives planting seeds Our actions, our reactions, our responses are all seeds. Our thoughts, our doubts, our beliefs, all seeds. Our prayers, our encouragement, our blessing for others, all seeds. Our anger, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, violation of others, all seeds that are being planted that are going to come back to you in some way. This is the law of the universe, the law of sowing and reaping. Paul says it in Galatians 
6, which is just one chapter over, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You and I are sowing seeds in every part of our life. And you, here's what Paul says, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. If you give up on the Holy Spirit, if you give up on leaning into Him, if you give up on yielding, if you give up and just start doing it on your own, if you, if you, if you don't continue, then you'll, you'll have real destruction begin to happen in your life. But if you won't give up and you'll be willing to try again. Paul says something really powerful will happen to you. And because the process takes time. Because you've got to plant, and then you've got to water, and then you've got to weed. <laughs> weeding, I hate weeding. That's the stuff that's going to kill the, the good stuff. You've got to prune. Pruning, worst ever. When we get pruned. But then there's this fifth step that people don't like to talk about. Because all the rest of them are full of action. The fifth step is wait. What a bummer. I gotta wait. And then and then there is a harvest, but then there's one more step. Here it is. Repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. This is the work of the Spirit. It is a work of time. It is a work of of a cyclical and seasonal nature in your life, and it takes time, and you've got to give it time. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Patriots are well known for trying to take shortcuts. Listen, some of you are like, well, why does it take so long? Why does it take so long? Let me give you this analogy. Some of you have heard it before, but it's about amputees. And how the kingdom of God is kind of like dealing with an, an amputee. And our life with Christ, our life of the Spirit, is like, like in an amputee, he loses his arm. And then there's a pain or uh, some kind of uh, sensation associated with it called phantom limb syndrome. Phantom limb syndrome, and you're missing, your, you're missing the lower part of your arm or the lower part of your leg, and, and the, the, there's, an, there's an end to the wiring. But you feel like you got an itch on your foot even though your foot's not there. And they would give them Tylenol or something to medicate it, and it will always go away. The symptom would go away, but it will always return. And then they realized, modern medicine began to realize that the, the, the nerve ending has to be stimulated in order to discover that what they've been doing all their life, that, that place in the nerve ending, it used to be the middle of the nerve, now it's the end. This is the end. You've got to stimulate the nerve to realize, because it keeps sending the message, my foot's itching. Oh, this is really, my foot's in pain. And it doesn't realize that there's a new reality. And so you and I are similar in that, We have a new reality that happens on the inside. The Bible says we are a new creation and he starts on the inside and he starts working his way out into our body and our mind and our our soul, our emotions and he's working his way out but we're still in this body. 
And it's like our wiring continues. And we're, 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 we're learning how to stimulate our lives with the new reality of God's Spirit. And so what happens is you st- they started stimulating it with like shock treatment or, or they would just, just, you'll see sometimes an amputee will be, be beating on the end, kind of cr- increasing the stimulation of that nerve ending. What he's doing is creating a new reality. Now for the Christian, how do we stimulate the new reality? Do you remember Ephesians 5.17? Ephesians 5.17? It says, be, instead of getting drunk with wine or being stimulated by all this other stuff, be filled with the Spirit. How do you stimulate the new reality over and over again? Things like water baptism is a next step. You're stimulating a new reality. I am now dead in my flesh and alive to Christ. I am uh, reading the scriptures every day. I'm getting God's word and his voice into my life. I'm stimulating the new reality. Oh, and I have a day where the old reality comes back and comes back hard. No, it doesn't make any difference. You're never going to overcome that problem. You're never going to deal with that addiction decisively. This is all a scam. It's all a con. It's not going to happen. All of us go through lies like that. But you stimulate the new reality by gathering with other believers, and they say, no, that's not the truth. This is the truth. Don't believe the lies. Let me encourage you. When you go to prayer and worship, this is stimulating the new reality. That's why you come to church. You've got to remember that you are a new creation. You're stimulating a new reality of life in the Spirit. Finally, the fruit of the Spirit is matured and measured by relationships. Matured and measured by relationships. The Holy Spirit's way of producing fruit, and the way we measure His fruit happens in relationships. Look very carefully at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you measure any of those if you don't have relationships? You can't measure patience unless you have an annoying person. You can, this is why the people of God were required, this is why Christianity is practiced in community. There is a faith that the Holy Spirit begins to work in us when we get married. The the process of becoming not just happy but holy because you're having to live life right in front of somebody else. As a single person, there's there's endless opportunities for people who wander into your life and they're so annoying. I promise you, they are the work of the Spirit for you if you will only recognize it. Here's some of you are like, no way. We're not talking about a mechanistic approach to the gospel. We're talking about an organic approach, an organic growth of fruit in our life and the work of the Spirit among uh, us as God's people. And it happens in our relationships. And the point uh, to the list of the fruit of the Spirit is when they appear, they have grown from these proper motivations. And, and, and Paul is saying something even more profound here when he, when he says it. He says, just as Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. In other words, he fulfilled the law for you and for me for all time. So the spirit is the replacement of the law. The spirit is the replacement of the law, and here's what I mean. The law is just made so that you can see where you're short, but the spirit is the one that leads you into obedience. It's the byproduct, the Holy Spirit and His work. You're going to end up loving 
the words of God and loving to do the things that he longs for you to do. And when you're dealing with that annoying person, instead of reacting with anger or frustration, you yield to the work of his spirit and he is working deep inside you and he begins to lead you into kindness and a gentle answer that turns away wrath. It doesn't have anything to do with a moral kind of trying to be better. The Holy Spirit is the promise of better. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads you into the obedience of the law, and he is the one who makes it happen. And I want you to notice this last phrase. He says, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Well, let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul is making every believer, he's making life in the Spirit the responsibility of every believer. Life in the Spirit is, is, is you've got you to make sure you have people in your life who are going to help you. And, and, and here's what I want to say about being crucified. If you think of it and you think of the picture, you're gonna, Jesus himself said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So you crucify the flesh. I can't get the other nail in. You know why? Somebody else has to do it. Somebody else has got to put the other nails in. Somebody else has got to come over here and go, what do you say, Pastor Ross? That's really sadistic. No, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, sometimes it's a really good friend who's going to help you, who's going to help you say no to your flesh and yes to God's spirit. Somebody's going to help you It's a kind and loving soul who's going to work with you. Other times, it's somebody mean. Somebody mean. Somebody, and and, and you're going to have to figure out how to submit to God's work in that moment. But regardless, crucified, we've crucified the flesh, and now the Spirit is the one who lives. Sometimes you've got to get up every day and crucify that flesh. But there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection that is only by the Spirit. That's how Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's how you overcome the flesh and the death of the flesh. I want you to surrender to his life in the Spirit. Bow your head, close your eyes, and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And I don't want to take a long time here. I just, want, I just want you to come to this table. And I want you to imagine Jesus has set this table before you. The bread represents his body, broken for your wholeness. The cup represents his blood poured out for your forgiveness of sins. He can deal with all your past. But I want you to see that this table is a table of provision. And you can be filled, filled by his spirit. Come and leave everything at this table. Come and let the Holy Spirit speak to you about how hard you're trying and how you're, you've misplaced your energy. Instead of trying real hard, work a little bit more on surrendering. Instead of struggling, and str- yield to the work of his spirit. Father, we come to this table now and we receive what you have for us. We ask you to to give us 
all that you desire for us as we give away everything to you. Come have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with who Jesus is, his word and his life and his truth. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.